Well, good morning. Open your, uh, your scriptures, if you will, to the book of Revelation. And I'm going to be in the first chapter of the book of Revelation. I had, um, was packing up some stuff. <laughs> I packed up my Bible uh, in uh, some boxes. So I got my old Bible, which is, was kind of falling apart. So, if, but I'm, I'm good to go. Put it right there. Did you see uh, what, what Kim put in the uh, letter that was sent out this week? I thought it was really interesting because I talked last week about longevity of the church and uh, individual. Actually, I know a, a lady that's 99 years old that I was with about eight months ago in her home uh, on the east side over there. And we were praying together from a previous church that I served. And, uh, and she's doing really well. I think she, she's going she's gonna to get the century mark pretty soon. Her name is Juanita. Uh, but uh, uh, Loris, evidently, is 87 years. Is Loris here? Is she not here? Okay. okay. 87 years. Dolores de Garmo. Now, I didn't know this, but I, I kind of knew she was around long. 82 years. Thelma was 78 years. And uh, Mary Lou, who's sitting back there, is, was 76 years as a member. And then uh, Marty Wyckoff. And she's back there with her husband, 75 years. So long time members of the, the congregation. You can applaud, that would be good. <laughs> you know, I, I, uh, as things are unfolding and you, you look at the things that are occurring, uh, I actually feel uh, a sense of, um, of anticipation. I feel a sense of... Uh, I think, I really believe that the, the years to come are going to be just terrific years for this congregation, this church. I really believe that. Otherwise, I'd go someplace else. <laughs> you know, but, uh, but I'm not. So let's, uh, let's stand together for the reading of God's word. Revelation chapter 1, verses 9 through 18. In verse 9, the apostle John has been exiled to the island of Patmos, and he's He's there because of his love for the Lord Jesus Christ and his testimony. And then verse 10 says that God spoke to him, says, write down these things on a scroll and then send them to these churches. And he named off the churches that were there. And we begin with verse, verse 12. All right, we'll begin with verse 12. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was one like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in the furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. And out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and he said, Do not be afraid, for I am the first and I am the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys to death and hell. Lord, add his blessing to the reading of the scriptures. You may be seated. Let's, uh, let's say this together. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. 
Father, we're thankful for the, the revelation here and for what this book represents as time unfolds and the Lord comes again and what it means for believers and what it means for the world. It, 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 it brings to us an awareness that God is in control and that God has plans for this universe. And we come satisfied with that. We come recognizing that, that we have a God that no matter what happens in this world has us in the palm of his hands. And we come with thanksgiving, we come with praise, and we come with a deep peace because of that. We pray that you continue to, 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 to minister to your church on earth until that day comes in a way that brings glory and honor to you. And this is our heart and our prayer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Revelation is a strange book. Uh, it's full of angels and demons and lions and lambs and horses and dragons. And, and it, was, uh, it was written at the end of the first century. And what was beginning to occur was a great persecution was coming on the church of Jesus Christ. Nero was the first emperor who really began to persecute the church. But Emperor Dominican was about ready to start an unbelievably drastic persecution of Christian people. And he demanded that they worship Caesar and that they bow down to Caesar. And the Christians said no. And so it was on. <laughs> it was on. And it was horrible what occurred. People were torn to pieces. They had their arms, their legs tied to horses, drawn and quartered. Horses were whipped. Their limbs were ripped apart. Um, some were impaled on stakes and covered with pitch and lit on fire to light the gardens of uh, Nero. Some had holes that were drilled into their skulls and there was molten lead that was poured. Uh, some were thrown to the lions. It was a horrible time to be a Christian. How did they face it? That's the question. How did the Christian people of that age face this? Because they did. They did. And the Christians were slaughtered. And one of the early Christian fathers, Tertullian, he said this, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Interesting statement. Which means the more Christians were killed, the more the church grew, the more the church prospered. And when the Romans were watching the Christians face death with, they watched the peace and the joy, yes, the joy in their lives, they were drawn to this truth. And Rome began to change. Molten lead poured into their heads, arms ripped off. And the logic goes like this. The logic goes like this. If whatever is in this book of Revelation is able to help them face that kind of persecution, it's sufficient for you today. It's sufficient for you today. What was John giving them? What was he sharing with them? And he gave them a view, really, of the exalted Christ, the exalted Jesus. Look at verse 8. He says, I am Alpha, I am Omega, so in the middle of this passage in verse 17, he says, I'm the first and I'm the last. 
At the end of the book, he says it again, the same language again and again. He says it. So John is saying, if you see Jesus as Alpha and Omega, if you see him as beginning and end, you can face anything. You can face anything. Limbs torn off, whatever they try to do, lions, whatever, you can face anything. So the first thing that I would say as we look at this passage of Scripture this morning, that the early Christians, through John and his writing, saw Jesus as the Alpha and the Omega. They saw him as the beginning and the end. And this is one of the most comprehensive statements that Jesus is God anywhere in the Scripture. Jesus is God. I am the beginning, which means I was uncreated. I was in being. There is none before me, no one besides me, nothing. Nothing precedes me. The uncaused cause, one theologian has said. It's an amazing statement that's made here in Scripture. John says, he's Alpha. He's Alpha. This, this, this is a tremendous I mean, it just boggles my mind when I was looking at it and thinking about it. He is creator. He is the one out of whom everyone came. All of creation came. He created you. He created you male and female. Now, let me, let me just touch on this for a moment because of what's happening in our society. You know our culture today is, is, is outraged at this idea of a creator God. You know that. Don't like it. Don't like it. An omniscient God, an all-knowing God, a God that's all-powerful, a God that can speak into our lives and provide direction, boundaries, how to navigate your journey in life and how to live through this time that we're going through. The cultural mantra has been for years and years and years and years. It's been growing for years and years. It's not new. It didn't happen with COVID. We talk about that, you know, everything came from COVID. Everything came. You, you can hear it woven into the fabric of almost all communications for a long, long, long time. No one can tell me what to do. No one can tell me what to do. No one can tell me how to live my life. I can do whatever I want to do. I can become whatever I want to be. Nonsense. That's nonsense. There is someone who can tell you what to do, and one day you're going to talk to him. You're going to talk to him. He's wiser. He's more powerful. God can give direction to our lives. All of Scripture points to this. He's more powerful. He's different than us. And, and parents, we need to be diligent in teaching these things to our children. You want them to thrive. You want them to flourish. I join you in that. We want our, our families to do well. But personal freedom is not infinite. It's not infinite. Just because you declare it to be so does not make it so. There are limits to personal freedom. Uh, and I can give you a lengthy list of things. I'll give just a few this morning as I think about this. You can't choose to eliminate gravity. You can't do that. 
Uh, I can stand right here and say, no gravity. I'm still here, right? Why am I still here? Gravity. Gravity. I'm, I'm not going anywhere. I mean, the more birthdays you get, the more you understand that. Gravity. You know, you, 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 you get it, you know. Um, I'll tell you something else you can't do. You can't stop time. You can't stop time. You can photograph it, stop it digitally, you know, in your mind and whatnot. Remove parts you don't like even now. We can take things out of pictures. But time keeps moving, keeps moving. You can't choose for the sun to rise and set. You can't tell the sun that comes up in the north, I don't want you to come up in the north, I want you to come up over here. I want, I want that to happen. You can, you, you can yell at it, you can pound the desk, say, I don't like that. I, I, you can send out all the messages you want on social media that you don't like it. Can't do it. There's limits. There's limits. I can't make myself seven foot tall. Now, back when I played ball in college, I, I, I was envious of these guys who were that big because they, they, they rule the court, you know. I can go on all morning with this. There's limits. I can't do things in my life. And I've taken some time with that because that idea of is being consistently and profoundly advanced in our society and we're reeling from it. We're choked by it. We've, we've lost sight of the fact that there's a creator God. And this creator God stands before us and we have to give an account to him. I saw a headline this week, perhaps you saw it, it said the majority of Americans believe gender is determined at birth. And I thought, well, yeah, okay, well, okay, determined at birth. Then it went on to say that this individual that was writing this article was against biological males competing in sports with biological females. And I thought, okay, we got men's sports, we got, we got women's sports. But the next line is the line that got me. The next line is what caught my attention. 57% of Americans believe that sex is assigned at birth. 43 believe gender can be changed later in life. So 57% say you're, you, you are born and your sexual being can be identified at birth. But what amazed me was that half the population said no. I mean, it just amazed me when I thought about it. That Half the population doesn't believe that. If, if half the population says we will not accept sex that you're born with, you won't accept anything. You won't accept anything. You won't accept anything God has to say. What God has to say about this or any direction from Almighty God. We've been told to follow the science, right? Follow the science. Follow the science. Well, here it is. Now, I taught this, you know, I was a school teacher for years. Not long. <laughs> I couldn't handle it. I, I, I love these school teachers. <laughs> That's why I'm here with you. <laughs> every cell in your body, take a look at it, every cell in your body reveals your sex. Every cell, every cell, thousands, millions of cells, they all 
reveal your sex. Basic science 101. And I was teaching my kids this. Every cell has a sex. Every cell. That means that men and women are different down to the cellular and, and, and molecular level of their lives. We're different across all the different organs of the body as well. And the body structure. I can go on with a lot of different things here. If that isn't sufficient, just a quick check this morning. We can confirm your sex. Not right now. Not right now. And, and we can go on and on about this. How does that apply to you and me? How does that apply to you and me? Start like this. You have to start with God. You have to start with Him. That's how the Bible starts. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God. Start with God. Not with me, not with what I think, but what does God think? It's like this. You must start with Him. And unless you start with something outside of you, you'll never find you. You'll never find who you are. That's the point. That's the point of Scripture. You are not alpha. You can't start with you. If you start with you, you never find you. That's the message of Scripture. Unless you know him, you can't know yourself. Rudyard Kipling once said, and this is an interesting statement. I mentioned this on Wednesday night a couple years ago. What do they know of England who only England know? You know what that says? What's that say? He's saying, if you want to understand your country, the way to understand it is leave it. Leave it. Go live someplace else. You've got to get outside of it to see it, to understand it. The message of the Bible is in the beginning, God. Genesis 1.1 doesn't say in the beginning, self. Descartes said, and we know this, I think, therefore I am. Famous statement. I think, therefore I am. That's not how the Bible starts. Now let me ask this morning, what's your alpha point? Scripture says he's alpha. What's your alpha point? How did you start? Did a personal creator design you? Or are you an accidental allocation of atoms? Which is it? It's one or the other. It's one or the other. What you believe will totally determine the way you go about working out your problems and your life. And if you are an accident, you can make your own rules. You can determine your own meaning. You can derive your own truth. You can make your own moral rules. You can make up your own gender. But if you were created by a personal creator, then you have to discover his truth, what his truth is. Listen, Christianity is not escapism. The, the, the last 10 minutes of the, and I, and I like to watch these old shows, I, I was watching Cheers, and it was the last 10 minutes of the last episode of Cheers, and Fraser makes this statement, which I, which I caught. He says, some people say we're an accident, just a chance collection of molecules, and nothing means anything. And Woody says, boy, that's a cheerful thought. And everybody laughs. And that's the way everyone treats that question. 
unless you're serious about God, unless you're serious about Jesus. You laugh. Christianity is not escapism. Christianity says, unless you figure out your alpha points, your beginning, that's why this is so important, people looking for themselves, your beginning, you can't deal with life and the problems of life. You have to be intellectually honest. Was it chance? Was it an accident? Or was it a personal creator? You will not understand life itself if you start with yourself. Get outside yourself and you see the context of your life, the context of creation. Did those gases solidify and, and, and on their own eons years ago and create you? Or, or is there a personal designer who created you? What's your, what's your alpha point? What's your context? Really, as a person, who are you? Who are you? Christianity will not let you escape from the big questions of life. At Cheers, they laugh it off and have another beer. Laugh it off and have another beer. And the fact is, unless you have some kind of working hypothesis about that question, you're shooting in the dark. You're shooting in the dark. What's your first? What is your first in your life? The Bible says, start with God and other things begin to make sense. Find yourself. You find yourself. Second thing this passage of Scripture tells us is he's omega. He's, omega. he's last. He's first, but he's also last, Scripture says. He says, these things go together. They go together. Jesus Christ built the universe for himself, and here it is. The Bible says all of history is rushing headlong into his lap. Headlong into his lap. Every created thing is created for him. For his glory, for his knowledge, for his service. Everything is rushing toward him. We've talked about this before in, in other uh, uh, venues. He's in charge of history. He's the God of history. He came into history. He was born in history. He died in history. He was resurrected in history. He is going to judge history at the end of the world. He's the final end of everything. So he's not only the beginning of everything, he's the end of everything. There's a place in Corinthians where Paul says, in him all the promises of God find their yes and their amen, right? In him. Every need you have will be answered in him. In him. And someday, if you place yourself in him, and he's your Savior and Lord, everything in history is moving toward him, his glory, his kingdom, and you'll be talking to him. Listen, that's a massive truth. It's a massive truth. It changes everything in life. There are only two ways that you can approach God, as far as I understand as I'm looking at Scripture here, and they produce completely different results. You can either decide he's the end and everything else is the means, or you can decide that he's the means and everything else is the end. And both of those change. Let me give you an idea of how that works. The omega points, the end points of your life are not negotiable. 
They're not negotiable. They are the things you say, I have to have this or there's no point of my life. I have to have this. What are your endpoints? What are your omega points? Listen, when we first approach God, we don't approach Christ to make him our omega point. We don't. We come to Christ because we have a need in our life. There's, a, there's something that's happening. Our lives are falling apart. Or we say, well, maybe Jesus, maybe religion, maybe Jesus, maybe Christianity can help me with this. So we go to him as a means. I got to get this fixed. I got to get my life fixed. He's the one that's a means, right? Let me give you an example of this real quick from Scripture. Moses, young Israelite, and all his people were slaves in Egypt. We know the story. It's, a big, it's the big story for Israelites. Moses, through a wonderful act of God, was raised by an Egyptian princess, and therefore he had an education beyond educations. He had connections with people. So Moses decides he could serve God by being a leader. I can be a leader. So he figured, who else? I'm the only one. I'm the only one that's educated. I'm the only one that can do this. I'm a natural leader. So he says, I'm going to serve God by leading. Now listen to me. You cannot call yourself. You cannot call yourself to ministry. So he kills we know the story. He kills the Egyptian to show his might. And he turns to his people who thinks they're going to rally now because they saw what I happened here. And, and they say to him, hey, who made you Lord over us? Who do you think you are, Moses? And suddenly Moses is absolutely vulnerable here. He's vulnerable. He'd murder somebody and there's no uprising. Nobody's following him. So what's he do? What's he do? He runs into the wilderness, absolute failure. He becomes a shepherd, which was low rung on the, and the, and the, and the vocational ladder. For 40 years, he lives in isolation, right? We know the story. He's sure that his life is over now. It's over. Utter failure. Why? Because he thought he was serving God. But actually, he wanted to be the leader. He wanted to be the leader. That was his end. That was his end. And God was the means to get to the end. You can't call yourself to ministry. God has to put his hand on your life. Years later, God comes to him. He says, Moses, Moses, what are you doing out here? I'm going to make you a leader. And Moses, he's 80 years old at this time. And he said, okay, <laughs> okay. You know, we, we've been through this before. You know, I'm kind of a zero now out here, whatnot. If you want, fine. And to his shock, he discovers he's a very effective leader. He discovers a broken person is much more attractive leader than a proud man. And here's what happens. Here's what happens. When leadership was the end... And God was the means. He got neither. When leadership became the means and God became the end, he got both. Now think about that in terms of your own service. Jonah's same thing. Jonah's the same thing. You know, he, he had a political agenda. 
Jonah did. He wanted Nineveh destroyed. He wanted the Assyrians destroyed. That would mean that the, 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 his own nation would have supremacy over all this land and, and, and political sovereignty. And God was the means to making that happen. And when he found out he wasn't getting what he want, his life became pointless. We all do this. We all do this. You know, I've, I've worked my fingers to the bone. I do this for God, and I do this for God, and I've tried to be a good egg, and I've tried to live a decent life, and I've asked for this and this and this, and I haven't got it. I'm not getting it. So what good is it for me to be a Christian? I'm not getting what I want. I've done this. I've done this. I've worked hard. I've, I've done... You're... <laughs> what you're saying is, God, you're negotiable. I want these things. I want these. And if you don't give them to me, what good are you? What good are you? I want this and this, and if I don't get it. So Jesus dies for us on the cross, and he's standing there, and he says this to us. Serve me not to get anything. Serve me to get me. Serve me to get me. And if you're ready to give up on God because he's not giving you something you want, he's not your omega point. He's not your end. You got other stuff going on. You see a guy walking across the street. I used this several years ago as illustration. I'll use it again. A guy walking across the street and a car's about ready to hit him. So this other guy runs across. He pushes him out of the way to save his life, but he rips his shirt when he's doing it. So afterwards, that person says, well, thank you for saving me. He says, you know, I don't know how, what good it does that I saved you. I ripped my shirt. I ripped my shirt. I ripped my shirt. I can't believe it. I tried to be a good person. I ran across, stopped the car from hitting you. I did all this. What's... What's a person supposed to figure from that? I rip my shirt. That response means your shirt is more important than that person's life. I rip my shirt. <laughs> Following God is hard sometimes. It's hard sometimes. And I'll tell you the truth, I get clobbered sometimes when I tell the truth. You know, you can tell the truth and lose a sale. You can tell the truth, you lose your home. I use the illustration on Wednesday night, a couple of Wednesday nights ago, but of the baby in the car, some of you that really remember that, where the guy down in Texas, it was like a nine, 900 degrees outside, and the woman had left the baby in the car, and the guy came along to help her, the baby was dying, broke the window of the car, and takes the baby out, and the lady was upset that she, he broke the window of the car. <laughs> what's, what's the end? What's the omega point? Anything you want the most... Anything you want the most is your omega point. And any omega point but Jesus will self-destruct. That's what I want to tell you. You don't serve him to get things. You serve him to get him. Why do you think all those verses that we quote and we give to our, our children, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things, right? All these other things will be added to you. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness more than blessedness. So Jesus is standing here. He died for you, and he says, well, what am I, chopped liver? You know? And I'm sorry. All you have is me. I'm sorry. Just me. Now, forgive me for the 
The cynicism is probably inappropriate. Uh, too serious for that, really. Is he the omega point of your life? Is he the end of your life? I don't serve him to get things. I serve him to get him. We always come up hoping he will be the means to the end of our omega points. Financial security. We serve God. He's going to take care of me. I'll be all right. Uh, my marriage, a happy family, or love, or something. Jesus isn't a battery for your old life. Stick a battery into the stuff that you've got going already. He's a new life. He's a new life. He wants to give you a whole new life and existence. The old Westminster Confession. What is the chief end of mankind? What's the chief end of man? The chief end, it says, the omega point is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Glorify God and enjoy him forever. He's omega. He's omega. I'm not a means to the end. I am the end. I am the, I am the last. I am the omega. Now, here's the thing, people. and I say all that to say this. I say all that to say this. If he's your first and he's your last, he has to be your middle. He has to be the middle. And I have trouble with this, and I try very hard. There are plenty of people today who insist Jesus is our Alpha and Omega. They say, that's nonsense. We just don't even talk about that stuff, right? A lot of people say, da da no, we don't, we're, not, we're not interested, we don't talk. I don't know if there's a God. We're probably accidents, and they go on with their mantra about that. If that's true, that means your alpha point is meaningless. You're just an accident. Your omega point is meaningless. You're going to rot and die. That's it. That's it. Now listen to me. Yet these people... The same people who say that to you, Christian people, insist that the middle is meaningful. It's meaningful. Nonsense. That's nonsense. Philosophically, it scrambles my brain to even think about it. They say, we need to work against oppression. We need, to, we need to work against racism. We need to work against individual rights and human freedom. We need to be compassionate for the poor. What? What? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. If your alpha is meaningless, you came from nothing, and your omega is meaningless, you're going to rot and die. Your middle has to be Meaningless has to be. If you came from nothing, you're going to nothing, then you're nothingness in the middle too. It doesn't make any difference what you do because you're going to die. And you came from nothing. It makes no difference. You can't start talking about rights. You can't start talking about truth. You can't talk about wrongs. You can't talk about values. It doesn't matter whether I'm nice or whether I'm a jerk. It doesn't matter. I can be violent if I want. If my alpha and my omega are meaningless, my middle is meaningless. 
And that's what's causing all this stuff in our society right now. It's meaningless. Don't answer to anybody. There's no truth. There's no right. There's no wrong. Just do what you want. That's freedom. Screw that. Screw that. Why don't we just destroy ourselves? And people do. People do. If your alpha and your omega is meaningless, have the guts to admit that your life is meaningless. You're meaningless. Don't talk to me about right and wrong. Don't talk to me about ultimate truth. If you're a believer, a Christian, and your alpha is Jesus, and your omega is to rule and reign with him forever, and that's what, it, that's what this book is about. In other words, if your alpha and omega are meaningful, then every moment of your life is meaningful. No matter how senseless it looks right now, And when you see this picture of Jesus, his hair is white as snow. It shows he's wiser than the wise. His eyes are fire, showing that he's more penetrating than the deepest fire. His face is brighter than the brightest sun. His voice is louder than the loudest ocean. He's trying to show you glory, his glory, the glory of God. And that's what struck John and made him fall down here in this passage of Scripture. The word glory in the Bible simply means weight. Glory means weight. Uh, it means substantial. It's substantial. It's a bigness. Jesus is the glory of God. He's the weight of God. And Paul says that in all of his epistles, he's the glory of God. Now let me give you an example of what this might mean for you. If you put a stone in the middle of a creek, or a big, a big boulder in the middle of a creek, the water will go around the stone. Is that right? Sure. If you've got a big boulder, water's going to go right around the stone. It will change the water's path. Why? Because the stone has more glory than the water. It will change the water's path. The stone has more matter than the water. And Jesus is saying, look, look at me, look at me, I'm the Lord of glory. I'm the stone in the middle of the stream. Everything swirls around me. Everything goes around me. Only things that are done for me and with me will last. And he's saying, Christians, he's saying this here, but he's saying it to us today too, as Christian people. Christians, if you lose your home, and I'm going to tell you what, I lost my home years ago. The end of the world, right? <laughs> the end of the world, right? My life is over. I lost my home. I lost my job. I was unemployed for three years. Lived out of my car for about six months. Lost it all. End of my life, right? All this stuff. All this stuff. What's the middle of your life? What's the beginning of your life? What's the end of your life? God says, don't worry. Don't worry about these things. Don't worry about these things. Nothing in this world is going to last. I last. I last. I'm the Lord of glory. 
That's what he said. I am the Lord of glory. Everything else swirls around me. Everything else is coming to me. I matter more than anything else. I'm the Lord of glory, and if you obey me, you will last too. And that's the message that was going out to these Christians that were being slaughtered. You will matter too. Even your suffering will be meaningful. Everything is meaningful because your alpha and your omega points are meaningful. And the greatest thing here is God touches John, and I close with this, and John falls down. Kind of throws us back to Daniel chapter 12, doesn't it? Where Daniel sees this great big figure that looks like Jesus, and it was Jesus, and he falls down dead, and the angels come and they comfort Daniel. And verse 17 here in this passage of scripture says, John falls down as dead, almost the same thing, and it actually says that this glorious being, who is Jesus, actually reaches out with his right hand and he touches him and he says, I was dead. I died for you. Fear not. Fear not. He died for us. He died for us. If a great being like this, the God of glory, would die for you, you matter. That's the point. You matter to God. You have glory in you. You're weighty in this world that's swirling around. So he says, come. And he puts his hand on his shoulder and he says, I last. I last. Nothing else does. I'll be with you. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for the, 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 the truth of the Word of God. And these are just, Lord, <laughs> this, this is just basic truth. You exist. You're the beginning, you're the end. Basic truths of Scripture. On every page, you, 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 you call us to this. Recognize who I am. Recognize that I'm in control. Recognize that I'm your God. I am God. I have weights. If you make me your Alpha and Omega, I'll bring meaning to your life. I'll touch you. I'll call you. I'll speak to you. I'll place my spirit within you. And you will become weighty in this troubled world. And Father, we're thankful for that message. We're thankful for this message to these Christians who are about to be just torn, torn, literally torn apart. And they could face that with even, even joy, but with a peace that they were in the hands of God. We look at our world today, our Father, and we, 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 we we're troubled by many things. But we find here our anchor. We find here the strength of our God. Pray, Lord, that that just saturates our lives, saturates our minds, uh, saturates our spirit. That our God says to us, don't, don't be afraid. I'm forever and I'm with you. So we want to give that to you, Lord. And we pray that every person here has experienced that.
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.